0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Tonight, I want to speak about the power of God, Uh, and uh, we've been doing a series about what is the church, and... um, how the church was formed through the revelation that Peter got when he discovered who Jesus Christ is. It says in Matthew's Gospel, 16, verse 13, it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say? That I am. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And this is a portion of Scripture which we've been concentrating on because it it gives an incredible revelation of how the church is birthed. It's birthed on the simple revelation that Jesus Christ, He is the Lord, He is the Son of God, He is the Anointed One, He is the One on whom we give our lives. And when He is made King, the church has life and form. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, you are Peter, which means rock, but it means a small rock, it's a stone. Upon this rock, upon this revelation, Peter, upon this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my church. And so Jesus is saying, saying to the whole world, he says, I build my church on this revelation that I am the Lord, I am the Christ. Yeah. And that's one of the most important things we have to understand, that, that people um, throughout the world are, are looking for God. They're looking to, to kind of find their, um, their purpose and their destiny. And, and, you know, I believe it's written within the DNA of man to find God, to search for Him. And, you know, people are searching for Him, but there comes a point when they have to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we have to understand that to come to God, we have to come through Jesus. And so when Jesus was speaking, he revealed that there is a purpose and a power to the church. The church is the body. We are the church. And so if we want to know who we are, we live in a a very self-focused world that everyone's discovering who they are well who you are is who the church is if you know who the church is then you know who you are and you know how you fit within the church and you know what you do in the church because the church is who we are jesus Brings this revelation and he, and he says, He gives Peter a name. He says to Peter, You are Peter. His name is Simon, and he calls him Peter, says, You are Peter. And so he gives him his identity upon the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so we are formed in that revelation. When we discover who Jesus is, we discover who we are. And so we have to understand this. And this morning, uh, this evening, sorry, Cheryl was saying tonight, I'm saying this morning, we don't know whether we're coming or going. I want to speak about the power that is in the church. You see, the power of the church or the power that is in Christ, the power that is in us is a power which is often misunderstood. And it's misunderstood not because it's described wrongly, but it's often dis- not described fully. Does that help? You see, the, we are a charismatic Pentecostal church of some kind, I think. <laughs> We've never officially been labeled and uh, so we don't quite know who we are, but we know who we are. Oh yeah, I know this is me. And uh, so, <laughs> But the Pentecostal church traditionally has described the power of God as in the signs and the wonders of God. And so the power has been a description of his power revealed in the personal miracles, the signs. We saw a miracle this morning. We heard an amazing testimony this afternoon. Uh, Gabby's grandfather, who had a stroke, uh, was on the brink of death. Um, everybody thought he was going to die. Gabby was very upset this morning. Amazing testimony this morning as we pray. Got home. He, he's um, just—he's uh, up. He's laughing. He's completely fine. And we know the power of God has touched her grandfather. See, see, that's power. And so the church has spent a lot of time concentrating, the Pentecostal particularly, has concentrating on the power of of God. Now, I was, I was not raised a charismatic, I was raised a denominational Baptist, sort of evangelical, quite strong, and the power would be referenced in those churches in terms of influence, in terms of, 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 of making a, a change within society. There would be the um, Salvation Army um, has shifted its influence over the years, but it, it, it would be known as a... An organization that has power because of the influence it has on society, especially for the homeless and the lost and, and, and those people whose lives are broken and destroyed. That's a, that's a, And that many churches within the evangelical world concentrate not on the miracle power of God, but the, the power of Christ to, to move within the hearts and minds of society and literally to change the way society is governed and led. And so we've seen over the over the over the many decades Um, This nation, uh, which we've actually seen great controversy, David Cameron curiously said this is a Christian nation and he he, he sort of of plays that kind of game. We don't know whether it's a game or not or whether he just speaks out of his heart. Let's be fair. He speaks out of his heart. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And and, uh, he speaks this is a Christian nation and uh, and so of course it causes controversy within a, a very humanist society that we have today. But at the end of the day, every great function that this society uh, lives within, the NHS, uh, um, the, the fact that we, we take care of those who are unemployed, all of those kind of features, uh, the, the things that makes this society work was, was birthed through the church using the power that is within the name of Jesus Christ to change a country from being a corrupt, selfish, self-centered country to a country that takes care of those who can't take care of themselves. That's, it kind of, you know, and it, it's not perfect by any means, but it. all of those things came from the church. The church caused those things to happen. It was faith in Jesus Christ by a number of people. Slavery was abolished by the church. All of those kind of thing, the things, that, the, the things that affect society, the church has risen up and said, enough is enough. And so we have to understand that, that, the church, you know, and maybe the more traditional churches, more, more formalized churches, probably don't mention power that much at all. And so power is often seen in different terms. But tonight, I want to focus in on the core center of the power that is in the church. Can we do that tonight? It says in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read from Ephesians 1 verse 16. This Ephesians, um, as many of you know, is probably my favorite book of the Bible, Um, And we did a series of it, um, I believe it was in 2013, or possibly 12 now, I can't remember, but we we went through the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians 1.16 says this, And do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We understand that Peter got the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's why Peter was able to say, you are the Christ. It was that that happened to him. And Paul is praying that it happens to the church of Ephesus. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above, all principality and power and might and dominion, and in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So when Paul spoke about power, he didn't mention the power of God according to the miracles that he had seen. Now you've got to understand, Paul saw incredible miracles. He was part of the crowd that prayed for handkerchiefs and and, and, and they would take their handkerchiefs, clean ones I assume, and... Uh, <laughs> take them and lay them on the sick and the sick will be healed. He he saw people delivered from demons. He saw um, the dead come to life. He saw incredible miracles, but he doesn't describe any of that. He doesn't say that which he's seen. He doesn't say, now you have to understand, Paul, he's gone from city to city and he's seen whole cities come to the Lord. He's seen a complete radical transformation of cities and the impact of the gospel. So when they were planting churches, they weren't talking like a few hundred. They were talking tens of thousands coming to Christ and Paul would have to establish a structural kind of leadership structure framework to hold the church together from one city to the next city and he would have to put into place pastors and leaders and apostles and bishops and overseers and 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 people who could take care of all of the functions of church life and he had to make sure all of that happened because every time he went in to preach the gospel cities were turning to jesus christ so but he didn't even describe that kind of power What he described was the power that Jesus Christ has in his resurrection glory, the power that rose him from the dead. Let's read it again from verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So he says in verse 19... He says, what is exceeding greatness of his power? I, one of the reasons why I love this scripture is the extraordinary amount of descriptive words he has to get to the point. He, it's like someone who's really excited about something... And they can't find enough words to describe how excited they are. So they keep kind of building up before they actually say what it is. They keep using more and more descriptive words. And this is Paul. He's so excited by this. And he says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. And so... So there is great power towards us according to the working of this mighty power which he worked in Christ. Now this is the power he's talking about. Not the power that caused miracles. Not the power that raised dead. Not the power that provided um, miracle resource. Not the power that changed cities. He's talking about the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named—not only in this age, but that which is also to come—and he describes a power that is in Jesus Christ, which is far supreme over every other power. In Ephesus, they had um, they had all these other religions, and they would worship just about anything. And and there was in Ephesus there was a huge amount of understanding of spiritual strength and force and authority and Paul describes a power which is far supreme over all power a power of Jesus Christ where he rules and reigns but he first describes him as the resurrection power the power that rose him from the dead now we have to understand when we're thinking about power when we if we can get this revelation we can get the revelation of power, that changes and heals and restores, the kind of power that changes people's lives forever. Amen? You see, we have to have our eyes opened to the power that is in Christ. See, this wasn't power that raised Jesus back to life. This was power that raised Him from the dead. Let me say that to you again, because the difference is really important. This wasn't power that raised him back to life. This was power that raised him from the dead. Now, the difference is big, even though it sounds like you're playing with words. You see, many people in the Bible say many. Quite a lot. Quite a lot, really. Many. <laughs> no, I know. No, you said that, and now I'm feeling kind of awkward. You all said many. <laughs> I didn't mean you to say many. I'm like, my goodness, you know, very willing. Take another offering. Well, the going's good. (laughs) A number of times within the Bible, a number of times we see people raised from the dead. And they were, or sorry, I should say, raised back to life. We see Elisha and Elijah both raise people back to life. In fact, Elisha, even when he was dead, raised someone back to life, for a dead body was put on his bones and they jumped back to life. You see, when Jesus went raising back to life and raising people back to life, Jesus did it most prolifically, but he wasn't the first one to do it. But you see, the difference between those who were raised back to life and Christ is the power that raised Christ back to, from the dead. And this is important because everyone who was raised back to life eventually died again. What, what they had was a, a kind of a temporary kind of, you know, a pass. <laughs> they, they were given some more years, we don't know how many more years, because everyone that was raised back to life that doesn't describe their next death. And so, uh, <laughs> it's like, and it's like they died again. Oh, what a shame. And, uh, it's a bit of a bummer, isn't it? I know, it's still, get, yeah. But they, so, all of these people have been raised back to life, but when, see, when Jesus died, when he was raised up from the grave, He arose with a... (laughs) There's a hymn in there, isn't there? And when he rose up from the grave, he came back different than all the rest. You see, when all the others came back, they just come back as they were before, but healthier. (laughs) It helps coming back healthier, or otherwise you're like... (gasps) And you're dead again, aren't you? It's like... You need to not only deal with the issue of death, but the reason that caused it. (laughs) Otherwise you're really in trouble. But when Jesus came back, He didn't come back as He was. He came back transformed. He came back in His supernatural, heavenly form. He came back a man in whom could be seen, but not always recognize he came back as one who could walk through walls that's not a trick any of the others could pull Lazarus couldn't walk through walls after he came back he in fact if he did he probably would have killed himself and that really would have made Jesus upset you know you see what happened is that when Jesus was raised back from the dead he came alive having conquered death itself and so when Jesus died he went into hell and he conquered hell he took the power and victory over hell he took the victory over death now we have to understand this you see up until Christ death reigned death was the boss death was the supreme authority Because death reigned. The Bible says, in fact, let's go there in in Romans 9. Sorry, Romans 5. Romans 5, um, verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offence, for it was by the one man's offence many died. Much more grace, the grace of God, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. You see, when Jesus came, he came and took authority over death that caused all to die. You see, death was was virtually unchallenged. There was the annoyance of the um, covenant that God had made with the children of Israel. And it messed with death. But it didn't reign over death. But when Jesus died, He took authority over death and He became the one who rules and reigns. Death caused people to die not just... Physically, but spiritually, hopelessly. Everything to be lost, to cause all things to be lost and to be broken. But Jesus came and when He died, He went down into the grave and He conquered and He rose up a different... He came back to life a different being. He came back in His spiritual form, His heavenly form, the form of body that we will have when we are raised by Christ on the last day. Does that make sense? And so he did that in the great... see, we're talking about a different kind of power. We're talking about the most supreme power. Why? Because at that moment in time, the most amount of power was ever needed to raise Christ from the dead because the ultimate power of death reigned and the greatest victory that has ever been won was worked in the, in the pit of hell, in the pit of death, when death was destroyed and Christ raised up victorious over all things. That is the power that is in Jesus Christ. So when Jesus rose up and he walked with the disciples on, on the road as they discussed um, the, the events that they had been going through, as, as he spoke to um to Mary and as he, he spoke to the disciples appearing before them not uh, the, though they didn't understand who was there as he appeared in the room as he waited on the shore when the for the fisherman to come in already having got his fish <laughs> you imagine turning up and they fished all night for breakfast and there he is and he's already cooking fish and you're like, <laughs> and, <laughs> and there he is and and they turn up and there he is appearing before them and suddenly they're beginning to recognize who Jesus Christ is. This is the power, the supreme power and authority that is in Jesus Christ. A power which is far supreme over all other powers. You see, you see, what we have done is we've minimized power to a miracle. And miracles are amazing. But they are the result of a power that Jesus Christ had supreme over death and destruction, over the work of sin, over the curse, that causes sickness, that causes heartache, that causes destruction. Jesus Christ has power. And that power works in us. Not just miracle power, not just city-changing power, not just political power, not just power to change a nation, not just power to heal a soul, not even just power to raise someone from the dead. No, we're talking about power that literally transforms a person's life from the brokenness of sin to the complete miracle of transformation of new life. That is the power we're talking about. You see, I have discovered this about humanity in our hearts that that as we go through our lives we, we have great expectation and hope that God would do something incredible. We, we have great dreams and we, we believe in God for, for great things to happen and, and you know if, for those of you who've journeyed with us over these last 18, 18 and a half years that we've been pastoring many of you you've been a part of that journey and those incredible miracles we've seen God do. But is there not within all of us a tendency to to just, at some point, become a little cynical. Not over miracles. We always want those. We always expect them. Not over miracles, but cynical over human nature. Because of all of us have been let down by human nature. The reality, of course, is the human nature when we're let down by the most is ourselves. And, And as you go on in life, you can become more easily cynical about those people you think may or may not change. But Jesus has power that every person who comes to him can be transformed. Every person, doesn't matter how how broken they are, that the rebelliousness of their lives, that that which is worked against them. When when we used to have the rehab and the the girls that would come through, I want to tell you something that uh, when, when somebody is gripped by the grip of drug addiction you will never meet anyone more willing to lie more willing to, to pull at any stunt beyond belief beyond, you can't believe what they will go to to just try and deceive as many people as they can just to get their fix and very few people believe such people can change but we have sitting within our congregation the very people who have changed. We have people um, around the country whose lives are a testimony that Jesus Christ changed them, that they're no longer in that grip, no longer destroyed by that death that c- c- got a hold of them, that gripped them. And there is a resurrection power. I want to tell you something. There is a power that has gotten into the church. It is the power of Jesus Christ who rules and reigns high above all other powers. So we have to understand this evening, if you want to know who you are, if you want to know what is in the church, if you want to know how Jesus Christ has come and, and touched your life, you have to understand the simplicity of the power that has touched you and transformed you. Our problem is, we're always trying to work out how God might do the miracle. And as soon as you get into the calculation of how, you're no longer able to believe for the when. Because you you can no longer see it, because you can't add up. Because when you look at a person's life, when you look at your circumstances, you look at the events and the outcome of what you're believing for is not there it's not in the calculation why because you're not using the right formula imagine i'm guessing that a number of people here have rented a house at some point or are currently renting you know that feeling you're re- you're a, you've been a, we've uh, rented for many years and and have been uh, I remember when we were first married we, we had uh, four or five landlords um, all of whom were members of our church actually all Christians that we knew uh, and that was handy because <laughs> we, we moved a number of times in our first uh, first year of marriage and and uh, and then we went went on to a few other homes before we were able to buy a place and and um, and we all know what it's like when we moved up here we rented a house um, and We know what it's like to rent. And when you rent, you're 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 subject to a landlord. And that landlord has a certain amount of right and influence. Now imagine you were renting a flat or a house from a corrupt landlord who would increase the rent but not increase benefit the property. Imagine you rented a property where the landlord would walk into your place whenever they wanted because they had the key and they would destroy and mess up everything that you would put into your home and then charge you for destroying the home and saying, listen, this is what you've done, you have to pay for this. Imagine you had a landlord that that would not only charge you for it, they would take the money, but then still not repair the work that the damage that they had caused. Imagine you had a landlord who will come in and take wander into your place because they had the key to steal everything that you owned, and and then blame you for losing it. Now we know that, you know, that is illegal. I was listening on the radio the other day. The amount of landlords that steal utility power. They steal electricity and they steal gas. They literally plumb into the gas supply, bypass it past the, uh, past the meters, and then charge the tenants for the use of electricity. And so they, tenants don't pay the utility bills, they pay the landlord. And the landlord is stealing the power. Imagine having a landlord that st- stole all your electri- the u- electricity but charged you for the privilege of having it. Imagine that kind of landlord. Now imagine what would happen if that landlord was discovered. They would be evicted and taken out and a good landlord put in place. Now imagine you were in a place where, where you had such a corrupt landlord, but a great landlord turned up and they took over the property that had been destroyed and was falling down and they repaired all of it and they covered all the costs and then they said to you, by the way, that your rent is covered too. And then they made sure that your home and everything that was in it was a beautiful home that was completely covered. And you were able to live in peace, no longer afraid of the landlord who would come. But, supposing you are now in this place and the original landlord still comes and knocks on your door late at night. Still comes and starts demanding rent for payment they said that you were owed. But, that landlord is no longer the landlord anymore because he's been evicted. But the landlord still comes and knocks on the door and he's still demanding for rent and payments which he says you're due. That he didn't get when he was your landlord and he says he's due them, but he isn't due them because he was it was a corrupt process he used to get them in the first place. You see, the Bible wants us to understand the power of restoration and resurrection that is in Jesus Christ, who is our landlord, who gives us the right. See, see, if a landlord knocked at your door, who's no longer your landlord, what would you say to them? What would suddenly, I mean, when he was your landlord, it's kind of, as awkward, isn't it? But when he's no longer your landlord, but he's still demanding payment, suddenly, there comes a different message out of your mouth, because you know... That you, suddenly, you've now got rights that you didn't have before. We have to understand, you see, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. To be seated in the heavenly realm literally means to be placed high above all other powers and authority that begin to work around in our lives. You see, there's a corrupt landlord that begins to knock on our door. It begins to knock on the door of this nation and begins to demand. But there is a greater landlord who literally owns this nation. And he owns this society. And that the, the corrupt landlord may try and deceive many for a while but into believing that we still owe him. But we don't owe him anything. Because the great power of Jesus Christ who conquered death who conquered sin? Who destroyed Satan? Who crushed him under his feet? Placed him into a place of subjugation. That place. That that's a, the, the um, traditional thing would happen with, with kings. When a king would destroy an army, they would take the king and the king, the victorious king, would place his feet on the neck of the of the king who had lost and make them and bring them into um, bring them into submission. That they would con- now be serving under the victorious king. You see, Jesus Christ is victorious and he's placed Satan under his feet. But we are the feet. We are his feet. It says here in in Ephesians 3 verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do, this is Paul getting excited here again, immeasurably more than we can all ask or imagine according to his power. That is at work within us. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen you see when you see when the corrupt landlord comes knocking we're like, uh, hang on a sec. You don't have any rights anymore. Because you were corrupt and everything you, ta- you came to take against away from us was a lie. You had no right to take it in the first place. But now I'm not your tenant. I've got a new master. His name is Jesus Christ and he takes care of me. He keeps a good home. He is the master of his own house. And we are his children. And we live for free in his kingdom. Not being charged for life. But we receive life. And life in abundance. And suddenly we begin to discover there is a voice on the inside. You see, we have a power. And that power is the power of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Capable of destroying death and bringing life. Now if we understand that suddenly there changes our perspective on every issue that we face. And when we face it, see, sickness is just an issue that we face. It's not insurmountable. It's not something that we can't cope with. It's not something that would destroy us. Why? Well, because we have a power that's way above anything. There's some kind of trial that we're going through. We have a power that is greater than our debt, a power that is greater and our brokenness a power that is greater than the addiction that gets on the heart of inside of people and destroys lives and destroys families we have a power that is far supreme see who are we who is the church the church is power and this is who we are